I created five different areas. And for me, it was important to do that because then it made it less overwhelming to focus on how I was going to improve my life. Welcome to the Veterinary Financial Podcast, where we discuss financial freedom and whole life success. I'm Meredith Jones, an emergency vet in D.C. And I'm Willie Bidop, a lab animal specialist in California. We are very excited to announce the dates of the 2022 Virtual Veterinary Financial Summit. It's going to be on October 22nd and 23rd. Go to vetfinancialsummit.com for more information. Our guest today is Stacy Cordovano. Stacy is an equine vet, practice owner, and the host of the Whole Veterinarian podcast. And in 2021, she did a soapbox series talk for the summit, and it was on uh, seven daily habits to improve your mental health and well-being, and it was awesome. Stacy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So Stacy, in a previous conversation, you talked about a transformation or a shift in thinking that you had about your career. Could you tell us more about that? Sure. It was pretty much in the height of my burnout and compassion fatigue stage of life. And it was a realization that I can't care more about my job and my clients and my patients than they care about me. Right. So I had spent so long devoting all of myself to being an equine vet and defining myself as an equine vet. And I realized that I really needed to have some other things in my life besides that. And a lot of it was spurred on by the fact that a colleague and a good friend of mine lost her baby. And I realized how much time I was spending away from my kids and focusing on other things. And that was all contributing to my burnout. And if I wasn't going to shift some focus to my personal life, I wasn't going to be able to keep doing this. So that was the transition. It was just a little bit of focus away from work and more onto the rest of my life. And did that transformation happen before or after you became a practice owner? And how did you change the way you were practicing after that? It was after I was a practice owner. So I actually started my practice just two years out of vet school. That's just the way the chips fell when the economy was the way it was in 2009. So I've been a practice owner for a long time. And in some ways that contributed to my burnout because I was a solo practitioner. But in other ways that allowed me to make a bunch of shifts because I was the boss. So I basically started firing people that did not align very closely with my values. And I got a lot smaller as a practice, but I was actually more profitable because I was able to give more attention to the client, you know, my top 20%, like they always say to focus on your top 20%. I was able to give a lot more time to them. And so overall, every time I fired a group of people, I was more profitable the following year. So hold on a second, Stacey. Did I hear this right? So you've actually fired clients? <laughs> yeah, it's possible. <laughs> uh, luckily, I was able to blame a lot of it on my children. I just said, I don't have any more time. I need to be more available for my kids. But yeah, so bad pay is easy to fire. Well, in my mind, it's easier to fire. But if you just think about the fact that 
you are able to practice so much better medicine when you have the resources, i.e. time and energy, that you are more profitable at each stop, which is very important for an equine vet, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point. It's actually easy to start firing people when you think about it that way, because we're only one person, right? Like, and I can't provide services to everybody here. I have to start saying no. And that brings up the whole boundaries talk, which could be a whole podcast episode. But we have to value ourselves enough and realize how much better of a job we can do if we don't accept every client in the door. <laughs> yeah, understood. So you've also talked about getting on the same page financially with your husband. And so what was the why behind that for you? And how has it impacted you and your family? If I'm going to be completely blunt, the why is so that I did not get divorced. <laughs> I, I say that laughingly, but it's serious. So my husband and I were raised in very different households, and we had a very different outlook on money. I had very little knowledge about money, whereas he had a big interest in it. And so it was kind of all fine and good when it was just us, and we didn't have a lot of external factors. But once you start introducing kids and planning more for the future, alignment becomes really important because if he's trying to save in one direction and I'm going in a different direction because we're not in agreement on what we want our money to do for us, then there's pretty much no way that you're not going to have an argument about it, right? And we actually, when we sat down with the help of a therapist, I will add, when we sat down and talked about our goals, they were very much in alignment. We were just tackling them differently. And we then got together on a plan and then were able to make a lot more progress more quickly. So the change that it's made is that it allows my household to run on a much smoother basis on a day-to-day -day basis. But it also has allowed us to do a lot of bigger projects and you know, pay off my debt get into real estate, which I'm sure we'll talk about as well, but it's allowed us to make headway a lot quicker by being on the same page. And then you're also not mad at your spouse all the time. So thank you for talking about real estate, because that is something I wanted to ask you about. So how did you get started with that? Again, credit goes to my husband. We were very fortunate. He actually inherited a home from his grandfather. So we started out renting that to friends, and then he started digging deeper into real estate investing strategy, you know, books, obviously Bigger Pockets podcast was huge for us. We both sit in a vehicle a lot. So he's in a tractor working on a mushroom farm, and I'm in a car. And so we have a lot of time to listen to audiobooks and podcasts, and we tried to educate ourselves as much as possible. And... It's interesting for both of us. It's something we can do together as well. So we basically just set a goal to keep our eye open for properties that made financial sense and that we thought were a good fit for us or people we would like to rent to. And so we've sort of slowly built our real estate portfolio over the past seven years or so. Awesome. Yeah, you talk about bigger pockets and I'm looking at my library and I'm like, oh, I have like... 10 of their books. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I ha haven't gotten much into real estate, but soon, soon enough. Yeah, soon enough. We ran into Brandon Turner in Nashville on the street and we were like dying. And I like put it on Instagram and I was like, nobody else cares about this unless you're in real estate. 
That's exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. <laughs> so I mentioned at the top of the podcast that you have your own podcast called The Whole Veterinarian. And can you tell us more about that project and what's its mission? Sure. So around the same time as I was digging my way out of that burnout stage, which was probably 2018, I got into podcasts, <laughs> mostly because of real estate. But they all have people on that talk about different things like personal development and other skills that are important when you're managing businesses or things like that. This is sort of embarrassing to admit, but I had never even considered developing myself in any other way other than professionally. I don't know if that's true for all veterinarians, but that's sort of how we're trained, right? We just have to go to get CE credits and get better at our job. And mm -hmm. I thought self-help was like this woo-woo book section in the library. And when I started hearing some of these people on these podcasts, you know, even just things like time blocking or, you know, leadership skills or gratitude practice, all of these things I found so interesting and so beneficial to me personally. So I started an Instagram account called The Whole Veterinarian, and I started sharing some articles that I was finding and podcast episodes that I thought were great. And I really enjoyed sharing them. And I was getting feedback from people that it was helpful to them as well. And so then I thought maybe I should just have my own podcast to share a few more of these ideas, like in a little bit more depth. I like to keep them short, but a little bit of depth with references that veterinarians can understand. And everyone thought I was nuts for having this idea. They didn't think I had time or they didn't think I had knowledge. So then, of course, I wanted to do it even more to prove them wrong. And so I started a podcast in May of 2020. And it's been an amazing experience. I absolutely love it. I get so much fulfillment from talking to people and sharing different ideas that can help. And my mission is, I mean, my intro says, I want veterinarians to be happier, healthier, wealthier, and more grateful for the lives that we've created. And that's fundamentally my mission. I just want to help people realize that there are small ways that they can be more fulfilled in their life rather than just being a vet. I love that concept of developing in other things rather than the, just the profession, which, yeah, you know, I feel like once you graduate from vet school, that's all you're looking for. Yeah. And then you forget about your health, your relationships and whatnot. With that said, you know, a big component uh, is well-being and uh, focusing on physical and mental well-being. You write and talk about uh, meditation. And can you dive a little deeper into that? And what are healthy habits? I have started meditating myself, so I'm pretty intrigued to get some tips from you. Yeah, that's great meditation practice is wonderful and there's lots of research backing the fact. I think taking a step back from meditation and just saying that mindfulness practice in general is a good place to start and it's a little bit hard to define but in general mindfulness is considered taking a moment to accept your feelings and accept what is happening without judgment so basically, it's taking a pause. And so that can happen in a lot of different ways. One of them is meditation. So if you have time and are up for sitting on a mat or sitting in a chair for 40 minutes with just yourself or with a guided meditation, like that is wonderful. And like I said, there's so much research backing that. But for a lot of us, we don't have that much time. So I think that mindfulness or meditation can be something like 
a ritual that you do before you get into bed or a walk that you do and you're careful to try to not focus and ruminate on things while you're walking. You're just there to enjoy the beauty of the walk. Or it can be, you know, a deep breath before you go into an exam room. I think there's a lot of ways to do mindfulness that isn't just meditation. But by all means, if you have time to meditate, like that is awesome. (laughs) There's some other habits, like Meredith mentioned, I talked about at the summit last year, which was so nerve wracking, by the way, I felt felt like I was so nervous for that presentation. But I think it was because I wanted to do a good job for you guys in the very short time that was there. But Some of the ones that are super important for me are self-compassion practice and gratitude practice. So there's also, I I guess I gravitate towards the ones with research just because that's how my brain works. But there's so much research backing the fact that even just weekly gratitude practice, writing down three things that you're grateful for that week will have lasting effects on your happiness levels and will lower depression scores. And then you know, again, with self-compassion, Dr. Kristen Neff, she's an amazing book, well, a couple books, but she has provided so much research on the fact that if we can recognize that everyone makes mistakes and it's not just us, if we can recognize that in the moment, again, speaking of mindfulness, taking a moment to recognize that it's not just you that made this mistake or not just you that forgot something, then we can really lead happier lives if we're a little bit kinder to ourselves. So those are like probably my three current favorite well-being habits, but there's lots of ways to take care of ourselves. And like, just like we've been talking about, it's so important in order to stay thriving in our career and in our personal life. Yeah, going back to hearing some of your previous podcasts, I know your first one was talking about meditation and how you can meditate anywhere. Yeah. And the, the other thing that I'm dying to do is read The Atomic Habits, which I've heard you a few times recommend it. So that's the next book in my list. Yep. Yep. Atomic Habits is a great book. And yes, also, yeah, Sarah Montgomery was on my podcast talking about peace within mindfulness, and she does a great explanation of it. But she also provides five minute meditation specifically geared towards vets. So if anyone's interested in like dipping their toe in a little bit, I would highly suggest um, checking out Peace Within Mindfulness for sure. Yeah, I love a couple of things that you just said about meditation, just uh, the thought of just taking a walk and having it be that simple where you're you're walking, but you're not thinking about all the problems mm-hmm. of the day. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard <laughs> like to, we do. Tend to do. That's why they call yeah. it practice, right? Like it's a mindfulness practice. It's just like vet med, like we're not good at it. We have to just practice it every day. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is hard to do. And then just those those little you know, short kind of meditative exercises, like taking a deep breath before you go into an exam room, which which I tend to do. Um, <laughs> yeah, we probably and, all, all have something that we do, right? We're just maybe not totally mm-hmm. aware of it. So yeah. Yeah. Or if you're about to start a certain procedure, like a thoracocentesis, just like taking a taking a breath before you yeah i don't have to do anything that's stressful (laughs) (laughs) that sounds terrifying (laughs) oh goodness uh well the the soapbox series i mean you you did an amazing job we we did set it up in such a way that we had very strict rules (laughs) where we said okay it's got to be less than 10 minutes or or we may have said less than nine minutes 
and we said no slides and so but uh but it was yeah, good we were... it was good to get one of my well-being things was to get out of your comfort zone so it was a good push to get me out of mm-hmm. my comfort zone for sure <laughs> <laughs> All right. yeah you did an amazing job how come that is part of well-being getting out of your comfort zone i don't know for me it, it is i think that Part of my burnout was about at the eight-year mark, which is maybe a little later than some people's, but I had a couple years where I was working really hard to understand how to start a business. So that eight-year mark for me was when I got really comfortable and plateaued. And I think that not being pushed, not growing, not feeling any discomfort allows for a certain amount of complacency. And... I think there is some research out there showing that a certain degree of stress is good for self-improvement. Now, granted, I think too much stress obviously takes you the wrong direction. But I mean, personally, like the podcasts, other stuff that I've done recently, some of these speaking engagements, that has really spurred me to, you know, get better. I love it. All right. We, of course, talk a lot about finances on this podcast. And at the summit, we talk about creating a financial plan, but you talk about a life plan. So what is a life plan and how would you go about getting started with one? So agreed. A a life plan sounds weird and vague. A mentor of mine, Dr. Ed Canera, had me do a strategic life plan. And I was like, I don't know what that means. (laughs) And so he suggested that I kind of take a global view of my life and the areas that were really important to me. So I created five different areas. And for me, it was important to do that because then it made it less overwhelming to focus on how I was going to improve my life. So I could look at one bucket and come up with a few key points on ways to improve that area. So kids is one bucket. If I can have a date you know, a one-on-one date with each of my kids once per week, that will for sure improve my relationship with them. And that's one action that's easy to take. But if I just think about my life in general, I'm not necessarily going to get that specific. So by doing the broad overview and then narrowing down in each specific area, I think it's easy to create some action steps that you can track and that you can check off. We all like to check things off. And then overall will really improve the direction that your life is going. I think for me, again, in that kind of complacency stage, I was also just really busy and my days were running me. Like I wasn't in charge of my days because I was so overwhelmed by all the things I had to do. So when I took a global perspective and found some areas that I wanted to improve, it gave me the feeling of control. I'm not sure I actually had any, but it gave me a sense of control that I could change a few tweaks in all those different areas and really see some progress moving forward. And I do have a freebie on the website. It gets you signed up for my newsletter, but there's a quick six or seven page guide to work you through creating your own life plan. If you don't want to get on the newsletter, just let me know and I'll send you a free copy. It's no big deal. But I used Dr. Canera's suggestions and I created this workbook. And I think it's just really helpful to have a sense that you are making progress and that you kind of know where you're trying to get to. And is that something that you discuss with your partner? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I did discuss it with him, but I made it for myself. 
So he was a bucket of mine. And part of that bucket was working on our financial plan and sticking to a household budget, improving our savings rate. Like that was under the partner bucket. And that was discussed with him. But the rest of it was really for me. That's a good question. I hadn't really thought about it that way. Uh, well, you know, usually, like you mentioned earlier about the, you know, getting in, in the same page with your finances. Well, I was thinking and, you know, I, my wife is a veterinarian and we talk a lot about what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. She's doing a dermatology residency. So what's going to happen afterwards? So always trying to figure out our life plan, I guess. Yeah, well, right. I think there is like a difference between, yeah, a life plan for your family. But this one is geared Toward, the, toward an individual, I would say. Mm -hmm. It's more of a goal setting mm -hmm. in various categories. Yeah. yeah. And certainly there should be, you know, mutual discussion in some of the categories that overlap. But like one of them was community service for me. And, you know, that needs to happen in my own time. That needs to happen with what fills me up. That, that was actually part of the podcast was serving, you know, mm -hmm. people that needed help. And that was my community was veterinarians. So for me, that was a very individual thing that I needed to work on. While browsing on your uh, website, you have several details about yourself. And what that caught my eye was you had the statement, never say no to. And your answer to that was chatting with a friend. Can you expand on that? Sure. I value my friendships so highly. I think it's a really important part of my overall well-being. And... You know, I'm busy. We have lots of businesses here. We have kids that are busy. And luckily, I am in the car a fair bit. So that is how I connect with friends socially is generally a phone call. Like I had somebody call me this morning and I had a ton of stuff to do. And I was like, ah, do I answer? Do I? I hadn't talked to her in a long time. So I answered like that fills me up and it's important to me. So yeah, I'll never say no to that. Awesome. Yeah, I was in a conference actually this past few days. And one of the questions that I got asked was, what does a leader mean to you? And for me, the first word that comes up is you have to be approachable. And again, going back to friendships, you know, you have to be approachable and be able to help out your peers. Yeah, for sure. That's a good answer to that question. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that, especially the first few years of our careers, we can overlook how important keeping up those friendships can be. And then a few years out, you realize that, you know, especially if you're a practice owner, from what I've heard, they start to feel alone. Even though practice owners have many of the same struggles, they start to feel like they're all alone. Yeah. And for sure. So in addition to the whole veterinarian, you also have another project that's called the Sustainability in Equine Practice Seminar and Retreat. Can you tell us more about that and how it got started? Yeah, it basically got started because of what we were just talking about. <laughs> so myself and three other colleagues who are obviously friends of mine had kind of a small, you'd probably call it a mastermind. We just called it a monthly check-in, but we would share cases, we would share social, you know, other life circumstance stuff. And there's obviously a big problem in equine medicine with attraction of new vets and retention of current vets. And we realized that we are really lucky to have each other in this sounding board situation. And we figured that 
other people were also probably missing that, especially me as a solo practitioner. I mean, I'm lucky in this area to have some colleagues that are also solo practitioners that I'm close with, but you know, 45% of equine vets are solo practitioners and not all of them live in a horse dense area like I do. So they're spread few and far between. So we thought maybe we should get people together. <laughs> One of us is very social and was like, let's do networking, a networking thing. And then of course me with the podcast background, I was like, well, if we're going to get people together, we should probably talk about personal development and some finance stuff. And one of us is an MBA and she's like, well, yeah, we should also talk about how vets can hire more vets and be more profitable and, you know, ways to make this work for everybody. So with all of our ideas, we came up with this seminar. The idea started in about March of last year, and we put on our first in-person seminar in October. We keep the group small. It's about 30 people, and we're doing two more this year. So we basically get people together to learn a little bit, but mostly form a community together where everyone feels safe sharing their struggles, their wins, things that have worked for them, things they need help with. And I mean, October was literally just magical. We couldn't have asked for a better first group. They were so vulnerable. They were so open. A lot of people have made a ton of progress since that meeting. Two people have hired new vets. We all stay really close in a private Facebook group. Two people have left toxic workplaces because they felt empowered to do so. And then this year, we're really lucky. We got some great sponsorship and we're able to put on two more meetings. And then we're, everyone requested an alumni session. So we're doing a deep dive into boundaries and practice finances again for some of our alumni members. And it's been a surprising and kind of wonderful outcome of a group of the four of us that just like to get together to chat. <laughs> well, in that note, talking about equine practices, the AVMA studies on compensation show that equine vets make less money on average than vets in other sectors of the profession. Can you unpack some of the reasons behind that? I can try my best. Yes, we make less money. And it's like a lot less money. It's like, Thirty-five or $40,000 less money starting salaries. I think the average starting salary for an equine vet is like 58000 and that's not including internships. So that's not skewed because of private practice internships. So it's a problem. <laughs> it's a problem for sure. And I think a lot of it has to do with the amount of patients we can see in a day, right? Like I said, we have to be very profitable at every stop because we're driving potentially half an hour between all of our appointments as opposed to walking to the next exam room. Now, it's different if you have a large barn where you can see multiple horses in one stop, but that's not real life for everybody. So I think that the other big problem is that we're a little bit behind small animal medicine in our business practices and pricing strategies. And, you know, Equine vets have never charged very much and it's hard to raise prices and clients don't like it. And I don't know, that's, <laughs> it's a tough one to answer. I think that in order to improve, we really do need to work on our pricing strategies. We need to not worry about what the next vet down the street is going to charge, what business they're going to take. I think we need to be more collaborative and there is also discussion about moving the industry more towards a Holland type of facility where you could get more done in a day because patients are coming to you. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And so how do you relate that lower compensation on average with sustainability and wellness and what needs to happen to make equine more sustainable as an option for vets? Yeah, it's not hard to make the connection that that low of pay is a big factor in why it's not sustainable to be an equine vet. You know, you can love horses a lot and still not be able to pay your bills and have to switch to small animal or switch to something else. So I really feel like as an industry, we are at a breaking point if we do not start charging more appropriately, running our businesses more efficiently and paying people better we are not going to have equine veterinarians to employ. So I think that has to be a major focus, but that's not all of it, right? You know, you can throw a zillion dollars at someone. If they're in a negative work environment, they're still not going to stay. So that comes back to overall well-being and allowing people to be creative with their schedules. Like I think equine medicine is probably one of the easiest places to be creative with your schedule. Like Horse owners are there all the time. Like you could go at nine o'clock at night or like three in the morning (laughs) and they're there. And if I can start my day at five in the morning and be done by 12 so that I can pick up my kid after my partner drops them at morning daycare, but I want to get them by 12 o'clock, why not? Right? Like I'm still working. So I think that practice owners just need to be more creative or allow their staff to be more creative and be willing to try some new things because the lifestyle can't continue at the 80 to 100 hour work week, six hours on call all the time. It's just not going to work for vets coming in to practice these days. Like it's not, it doesn't work for me. And I've been in it (laughs) for 14 years. Like I can't take care of my kids and work as much as a full-time equine vet works. Like, it's just impossible. So besides all the business stuff to pay people, you still have to be creative and allow people to thrive in whatever way that works for them. With all of that, you know, what advice would you give a vet student or a new grad who wants to be an equine veterinarian? I would say take time to figure out what you need. And realize that that's going to change as your life changes. But take time to figure out what you need and then be creative and find a solution that might work for you and for an employer and then demand more of these employers. But caveat to that, be prepared because you're probably going to get pushback, at least in the equine world. You're probably going to get pushback. So be well prepared. If you have a creative schedule Be prepared to prove how you can still make the same amount of money that you could make in a normal schedule. Be prepared to know how much you need to produce to justify the salary that you're asking for. Be prepared to understand what your benefits package looks like or to say, I don't need that benefit. That's not helpful to me. I actually need this. So be creative and ask for what you want and demand what you want because you have the upper hand in this job market. Like, let's just be honest. But also be prepared enough to prove to an older boss who may not have ever thought of anything like this before that it could work. That's that's what I got. <laughs> that's great advice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's great to see more vets out there advocating for themselves, you know, and even from the beginning. And I think there's a balance, too, between asking for what you want, but then the thought of, okay, but you need to pay your dues. Mm-hmm. The perception is that they're always on call, et cetera. 
Yeah. But at the same time, if if you want it to be a sustainable career, then you have to set yourself up for that. Yeah. Right. Like nobody going into equine medicine is going to think that it's going to be cake, right? Well, no one in any part of veterinary medicine thinks this is going to be cake, right? Like we know that there are hard parts to this job. We know that we may get called out for a colic at two in the morning, but does the practice work on teaching clients to call earlier? Does the practice actually give you time off when you're not on call? Like those are the things to be asking about and really reinforcing because this job is hard, right? Like, but it's also really rewarding in some aspects. There needs to be a balance there. Yeah, I totally agree. There needs to be some balance there. So speaking of balance and wellness, I've been uh, looking at your Instagram account and I've noticed that you have some really fun Instagram posts. So Stacy, uh, so we'll, we'll put in the show notes, we'll put where to follow Stacy on Instagram because she's got these posts where she is jamming to all kinds of music and really, really putting some fun content out there that is wellness related. And then sometimes it's, sometimes it's equine related, Yeah, but a lot of it is wellness related. And so where do you get your inspiration? I mean, let's just be honest. A lot of it is me dancing around like a lunatic. (laughs) I get my inspiration generally from either the music I'm a big music fan, and I'm not afraid to embarrass myself. But I also get a lot of inspiration from scenarios that come my way or questions that people ask because veterinary medicine is nuts. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's nuts, right? And so people will say, you know, my boss merged with so-and-so, and he took away my health insurance, and I think I'm going to leave, but this other practice is going to make me work 90 hours a week. And so then I hear that and I, you know, I either give them advice or I just listen and then I sit home and I get upset for them and then I make a reel about it (laughs) because, you know, it's just nuts. Like some of the stuff that we have to deal with is nuts. And if I can do it in a lighthearted way that allows people to laugh, but also maybe absorb something, then, you know, it's worth me making a fool out of myself. (laughs) So. Other than asking our listeners to follow you on Instagram, what's the best way for our colleagues to connect with you? Yeah, I'm most active on Instagram at The Whole Veterinarian, but the website is thewholeveterinarian.com or you can just email me at thewholeveterinarian at gmail.com also. I'm pretty accessible. And if anyone needs any resources, I'm happy to connect you with the right person and you know do whatever I can for you. So feel free to reach out. I'm, I'm easy to find. <laughs> All right. Excellent. And that brings us to our last question. Stacey, what is your best advice for our listeners? I think take the time to find out what's really important to you and make sure to reevaluate that at different points in your life. Because if you're not living in alignment with what's important to you, you're probably not going to find any way to feel fulfilled. And that really is a goal for all of us, I think. All right. Excellent advice. Thank you so much, Stacey. Thanks for being so open with us throughout this conversation. And thanks for all you're doing for equine practitioners and just wellness for the veterinary community in general. 
Well, thank you for having me and thank you for all the work that you guys do because financial wellness is such an important part of our overall wellness. So I'm happy to join forces and I love what you guys are doing as well. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Stacey. If you liked today's episode, hit the follow or subscribe button. Until next time, take care and continue your path to financial success. The information provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a legal or financial professional before making any investment decisions.